0: Collaborative Problem Solving Live. I'm delighted that you were able to join in. This program airs each Monday at 3.30 p.m. Eastern Time during the school year. We explore a variety of topics aimed at helping you better understand and help challenging students and implement the collaborative problem solving approach in your classroom and your school. If you have a question or comment, call 646-727-2691. That's Six four six seven two seven two six nine one. 646-727-2691. If you call in, you'll be muted until I bring you on the air. And now, let's get this show on the road. Hi, everybody. Welcome to today's show, the second of our shows, of our programs. I don't like to call it a show. This really isn't a show. Uh, It's intended to be a help to those of you who are struggling with challenging kids and eager to learn more about how to implement collaborative problem-solving. This program, especially implementing collaborative problem-solving in schools, that doesn't mean parents shouldn't call in because, of course, nobody agonizes more over a kid struggling at school than parents do, just that um, this particular program is oriented specifically toward how to help challenging kids at school. I'm going to be starting another program uh, in January, specifically for parents, and the focus point There will be um, uh, how to help challenging kids at home. Um, Been in Calgary, Canada, and uh, Red Rock, Ontario, Canada, uh, since we last met on Monday. And by the way, I think I've got the technology down here. So if you hear any uh, pregnant pauses, it's because something's happening on my screen on my switchboard that I'm not quite comprehending. Um, Other than that, I think we're good to go. Um, Once again, feel free to call in if you've got something going on in your building or something specific to your own child or student. Uh, The call-in number, again, is uh, 646-727-2691. And um, don't call in just to listen to the show. You can listen to the show just through your computer. You'd want to call in if there's something that you wanted to ask or something that you wanted to comment on. Um, so I've been in those different places, and no matter where I go, whether it's Canada or anywhere else in the world these days, um, the states, wherever, um, people want to know how do we get this ball rolling in our school building? Um, how how do we get this going, this collaborative problem-solving stuff? It sounds good. It's nice that there's a single-sided, single-sheet uh, piece of paper to help us assess who this kid is, help us understand why he's challenging. Those are the lagging skills, of course. Help us understand what it is that we should be working on with him. Those are the unsolved problems. And of course, the form I'm referring to is the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems, or alsup We like that. Um, we, we like the idea of trying to get better at Plan B. How do we get this going? And of course, the answer is it depends a little bit on where your building is at in general. It depends a little bit on who you are in your building. Um, Building leaders are sometimes in a better position to get the ball rolling, but that doesn't mean that uh, someone who isn't a building leader can't start using the tools and the uh, various strategies of collaborative problem solving right off the bat. The big decision, of course, is if you're a classroom teacher, um, you can start doing this right away in your classroom you can fill out the ALSEP for a particular challenging kid right from the get-go you can start prioritizing what unsolved problems you want to start working on with a particular kid right from the get-go almost irrespective of what your building is doing Uh, and yes I understand that it's not going to be so easy if this is not what your building is doing but we'll get to that in a little bit Um, you can start implementing plan B with a challenging kid in your classroom Right from the get go, and um, you can do it solo. Um, I'm not crazy about having people be the lone ranger in their building, but I will say this sometimes the lone ranger is the person who gets the ball rolling with other people. So I'm not allergic to the idea of having there be a lone ranger either. But a lot of times people want to know not just in my classroom, how do I get this going in my building? depends a little bit on a lot on whether your building is ready for collaborative problem solving yet, and by ready I mean, have people in your building noticed already that you're losing a lot of kids that there's a meaningful percentage of kids in your building who are getting lost because they're accessing the school discipline program frequently uh, the school discipline program isn't helping them much um if at all. In fact, the school discipline program could well be making things worse. Um, has your building noticed that yet? Because if your building hasn't noticed that you're losing a lot of kids yet, then you may be starting in a rather different point than if your building has already noticed. Let's let's take the easy, not easier, by no means easy. Implementing collaborative problem-solving in a building is never easy. Let's take the easier starting point there seems to be a consensus in your building that there's a lot of kids who are still struggling with social, emotional, and behavioral challenges, still not going well for them. The school discipline program isn't helping. Um, A lot of what's being done now isn't helping. If that's something that folks in your school are conscious of already, they're ready to at least start hearing about collaborative problem solving. They're ready to start hearing about what challenging behavior is. Challenging behavior, and of course, if you tune in every week to this program, you're going to hear this over and over again, but my attitude is you can never hear it enough. Challenging behavior occurs when the demands of the environment exceed a kid's capacity to respond adaptively. And why are challenging kids having difficulty responding adaptively? They're lacking the skills to respond adaptively. When those two forces clash, lagging skills plus demands for those skills, challenging behavior is likely to result That occurs under specific conditions that in collaborative problem-solving are called unsolved problems. The goal of intervention? Solve those problems collaboratively, not unilaterally. If you solve them collaboratively, excuse me, collaboratively, usually that rolls right off the tongue. If you solve them collaboratively, they are more likely to be durable solutions because the kid was a party to them, and he's more likely to pick up a lot of the skills he's lacking through the mere ingredients of collaborative problem solving. If you solve them unilaterally, the only person who gets any practice at solving problems is the adult, and the skills the kid is lacking don't get taught, and he's probably not okay with the unilateral solution that was arrived at in the first place. Don't know that we want to be giving kids lessons on unilateral problem solving, even though that's the lesson they frequently get. If your school has already recognized that got a lot of challenging kids in your building and that whatever's being done to help them right now isn't helping your school is ready to learn about all of that um, lagging skills they're ready to learn about the ALSP. they're ready to start filling out the ALSP. they're ready to start making the alsop a standard feature of assessment in your building a standard feature of any functional analysis of behavior you're doing, any FBAs that you're doing could include that single-sided sheet of paper called the ALSEP to help people understand challenging kids better. That's the lagging skills section and help people identify unsolved problems so they know what they're trying to work on next using collaborative problem solving. Um, They're ready to start having meetings in which the ALSIP is the focal point. These meetings are... Uh, filled with discussions about skills kids might be lacking, straight from the ELSIP, filled with discussions trying to pinpoint the very specific unsolved problems that are reliably and predictably precipitating the kids' challenging moments, Um, and then ready to start solving some of those problems, which means ready to start getting good at plan B. And I consider that to be the hardest part. Um, people are going to need some coaching on that. They're going to need some feedback. It's much better as a group effort. This is why I'm not so crazy about the Lone Ranger approach, but still willing to go with it if it's all there is. If your building is recognizing that you've got a lot of kids who you're not reaching, you're ready for them to start learning about collaborative problem solving. Of course, you still have a lot of... um, struggles ahead, because um, I don't find it to be that difficult for buildings to start uh, using the LSIP as part of their standard assessment procedure. Um, There are going to be some folks in the building who are not quite so receptive to the idea that challenging behavior is the byproduct of lagging skills and demands for those skills, in other words, unsolved problems. But I don't usually find that necessarily to be the hardest part either. The hardest part of implementing collaborative problem solving in a building is getting good at plan B. And it um, got to be a group effort, got to be people putting their heads together, possibly even calling into this show and telling us all about a plan B that you attempted that didn't go so well, and we'll troubleshoot it right here on the air. We don't need to use anybody's names, so nobody gets identified, but we hear about a plan B that didn't go as well as we might have hoped, and uh, we'll figure out why, and that'll be good for everybody who's listening in uh, to know about. What if your school is uh, not even recognizing that there's lots of challenging kids who you are um, not reaching, lots of challenging kids that you're still losing, very high rates of suspension, detention, um, perhaps even expulsion, although that's less common. Um, You're losing kids, and uh, the main purpose of a suspension is to give the class and the teacher respite from that kid for three, four, five days, even though nothing tremendous is being accomplished with the kid, nor is there any hope that that intervention is actually going to solve any of the problems that are causing the kid's challenging behavior in the first place. Which means all we're really in is a cycle of suspension, coming back, suspension, coming back. What a tragedy for us! What a tragedy, especially for this kid who we are losing. Sometimes data will help you convince people in your building that um, you're losing kids. Sometimes it's just a very practical statement in a meeting um, where we're saying, Billy's been suspended 18 times this year. How well is this working? Uh, Billy keeps blowing out of that class on a daily basis, and he keeps getting sent to a timeout room or to the assistant principal's office, and he calms down, maybe he gets a detention for blowing out, and then he's back again, and it happens again the exact same day. big part of getting collaborative problem-solving going in buildings where there's not so much awareness that a lot of kids are being lost, another common sign of that is something that I wrote about in the Real World section on the Lives in the Balance website that got posted fairly recently called Compassion Fatigue. This is a phenomenon where people lose their capacity for empathizing with people who are suffering. Now, one thing's for sure, number one, challenging kids don't always look like they're suffering. Sometimes they're brash. Sometimes they're flip. Sometimes they're flipping us off. Sometimes they are giving every suggestion that they couldn't care less. But um, one thing we're going to have to take as a fact, and that is that somewhere in there, we've got a suffering kid who wasn't born flipping people off, being flip, being brash. That's something that develops over time, um, and one might call it saving face. Um, one thing we'll have to accept as fact is that challenging kids are most assuredly suffering. But there's a lot of pressure in school buildings these days. There's pressure to do well on high-stakes testing. A lot of kids in the classroom All of them need something different from us. Of all the kids in the building who I believe are most deserving of our compassion, it's the ones with social, emotional, and behavioral challenges because they're the ones who are hardest to empathize with. Um, But they're also the ones that it's hardest to be compassionate toward sometimes just because of everything else that's going on in the building and just because of the sheer amount of energy that they consume and the fact that they're being as disruptive as they are. If we are tapped out in the compassion department, I find that the ones who are most likely to lose first are the challenging ones, the ones with social, emotional, and behavioral challenges. uh, They lose first. And now we've got a kid who's struggling, potentially a classroom teacher who's struggling to be compassionate toward that kid. How do we get the ball rolling in a building? And, And there are sometimes entire buildings that have a, compassion fatigue problem where compassion especially towards kids with social emotional and behavioral challenges are suffering but not getting our compassion and therefore we're not energized to give these kids the help that they need the kids who it's easiest to get along with maybe the ones who are college bound the ones who are showing up with their homework done every day the ones who are behaving themselves in class, uh, easy to be compassionate toward them. They don't need that much compassion. The ones who are hardest to be compassionate toward are the ones who are disrupting the class, not showing up with their homework done, getting zeros perpetually, even though zeros aren't going to teach any lagging skills and aren't going to solve any problems. We get the ball rolling in those buildings, by pointing out to people, making sure they're aware of just how many kids we're losing, and sometimes by using data to point that out. As I may have mentioned last week, a school that I was in recently, hundreds upon hundreds of disciplinary actions last school year, but 75% of those disciplinary actions were accounted for by just 22 of the kids in the building. Those are the ones who need us at our best. Those are the ones who need us to be compassionate, to recognize that our building has a problem with those 22. And those are the 22 who we're gonna fill out the ALSUPs on first, get the ball rolling on unsolved problems and doing plan B. Very tough place to start, but I find that many schools are going through a self-evaluation process almost on a continuous basis anyways sometimes as part of the regulations that they operate under um, how do you get the ball rolling in those buildings you start pointing out to people just how many kids you're losing and you try to build compassion and create energy for starting fresh with those kids because what we've been doing for a really long time hasn't really been working for them and in most cases hasn't been working for them for a really long time. We can't keep losing kids. We've got to start doing some things to turn that around. Once people start to recognize that we've got a problem in our building, we're losing challenging kids at an astounding rate, then I find that people are start to become hungrier for information about so How come challenging kids are challenging? How did they get to be that way in the first place? Now you know. Lagging skills, demands for those skills. What lagging skills? You'll find them listed in the top part of the ALSIP. If you're not familiar with the ALSIP, you can find it on the Lives in the Balance website. Uh, Just go to the paperwork section, and two versions of the ALSIP. There's one that looks like a checklist, and there's one that has a numbered Likert scale attached to it. I'm not too picky about which one people use, just as long as, once again, people realize you don't understand a challenging kid by counting, you don't understand a challenging kid by checking, nor by tabulating, nor by thinking about whether he's eligible for special ed, nor by comparing him to other kids of the same age or grade. You understand a challenging kid by discussing what skills he's lacking and by coming to a consensus as a group about what uh, lagging skills seem to be coming into play for each challenging kid. Once people realize they're losing kids, once people have some compassion back and have some energy back, they're ready to start taking a look at the LSUP and starting and are ready to start using it in the meetings that commonly take place on these students in the first place, so once again, no one's spending any extra time yet implementing collaborative problem solving, because the meetings on these challenging kids are taking place anyhow. Then you're ready to start learning about how to do plan B. Three ingredients, empathy, define the problem, the invitation, Then you're ready to start perhaps viewing some of the videos on the Lives in the Balance website so you can um, see what Plan B looks like and see some of the ways in which it goes awry. And then you're ready to start trying it. And it's probably not going to go so well in the beginning. As I always say, there's two Plan Bs that are the hardest. Your first, just to get going on it, and your second because the first one didn't go so well. But you get over the first and second humps, and you're not cruising you're further along than you were before you started doing it. That's how you get the ball rolling in a building. depends on where your building's at, what your building knows about the challenging kids that you're losing, what those numbers are. And we've got a caller. So let's take our caller. You're on the air.
2: Hello? Yep. Oh, hi. I'm Hello. so excited
0: to call in. Delighted um, to have I'm you. actually...
2: I'm actually doing um, a study group at my school. I read your book um, this summer, and I was really excited about it. And I have a book group, and we started um, last Tuesday. So I found your blog talk, and I think it's so interesting. Um, I've been trying uh, Plan B, and uh, it's definitely it's definitely more difficult when you have a real uh, student to talk to. No you
0: know, question I've been, about I've been it.
2: practicing. <laughs>
0: So tell me, tell me. Let don't tell us anybody's name. Okay. But can you give us a little information about what unsolved problem you were okay. talking with this student about?
2: Well, in, in class, he was in um, uh, one of my classes, and he has since since been switched. But I was asking him, him questions, and I'm a Spanish teacher, and he would just say um, pass. And I was like, okay, trying to give him more options, and he was like, no, not interested. So, um, you know, I talked to him after class. I asked him if we could um, meet up, and he was like, okay, sure. And I said, okay. And I was like, you know, I've been noticing that when I ask you a question in class, you, you really don't want to respond. And he's like, yeah, I don't care. I don't, I don't really, um, like, I know the answer. I just, I don't want to do well in Spanish. I was like, really? Okay. So I'm hearing you saying that um, you're good at Spanish and you feel like you're good, but um, you don't care if you get a good grade or bad grade. He's like, yeah, I've taken it before. I don't care if I'm in it, you know, every single year on the same level. So it's it's definitely hard, like, when they say different things. I just tried to, to do, like, the empathy thing, like you said in your book, to try to, like, empathy, empathy, empathy. Yep. Um, and he kind of left it as, like, okay, can I go now? But then in class, um, I didn't see a difference right away, but then uh, later on, uh, during a, a quiz, he threw a note at a, at a kid, and I picked it up and I put it in my pocket, and it said something, you know, like "What are the answers?" And then he did it again. He threw another piece of paper and I picked it up, and this time it said, "Teacher, can I have some help?" So, oh wow, it was really it was really neat. Yeah,
0: what a great story. So now here's the interesting thing: there's there's so many parts of what you've just said that we could sink our teeth into. Yeah. Let's um, – I love the ending of the story, which is where he's sending you a note telling you that he needs help.
2: Right. Yeah? And he was kind of like – like he still wanted to do it in a tough guy way. Like I'm still throwing the oh, note, yeah. and he didn't want to be embarrassed with the other kids, but he still – he knew I was going to read it. And so it he was had a to way save face. safe face.
0: Right. Okay. So you know what? We'll, we'll let him ask for help in that way, right? Right. So here's, here's what I'm noticing about that. There's, there's two things that I'm homing in on here. Okay. The first is sometimes, though we may feel that our first attempt at the empathy step hasn't gone so well. Right. And, and of course, as many of you know, I wish that I hadn't have called it the empathy step. I, the, the ingredient is information gathering and understanding. Okay. The goal of the empathy step is to gather information right. from a kid. On the un- about his concern or perspective on the unsolved problem you wanted to work on him with so that you understand. And the unsolved problem you wanted to work on him with is how come every time you call on him in class, he passes? Yes?
2: Right. Yeah.
0: Outstanding unsolved problem. And truth is, one of the first things I'm always asking myself is, is that a specific enough unsolved problem to work on? And the answer is yes. So job well done. Okay, job well good. done on having a very specific unsolved problem to be working on with a kid. And then you found yourself in the empathy step, and he, um, he said some things that made it very hard to drill. For those of you who are not familiar with drilling, drilling is the hardest part of the empathy step. It's where after you do your initial neutral observation, I've noticed that um, every time I call on you in class, you pass what's up. That's your initial neutral observation. People don't usually have too much trouble with that. It's then the kid says something like what he said.
2: (laughs) I don't care.
0: I don't care, which is sort of classic. right? I don't care is sometimes in there. I don't know is sometimes in there. Sometimes silence is in there. Those are the ones that tend to throw us adults for a ringer, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So he said, I don't care. And he gave you the impression, at least from what I'm remembering that you said he said, he said that the reason he didn't care is because he's done it already and he knows the answers, right? Yeah. Now that's fascinating. So if... First of all, it turned out not to be true because he's asking you for help. Right, right. So that means that his I don't care wasn't really I don't care. And that means good for you for not getting ruffled by I don't care, except that sometimes I don't care does tend to stop the drilling because we're not exactly sure what to say next.
2: Yeah, definitely.
0: Now, so here's some options for what you could say next. But here's the main point that I wanted to say. Sometimes. Just by doing the empathy step, sometimes just by letting a kid know, we care, we're interested, we're just trying to understand, and it sounds like you communicated those things by doing proactive plan B with them. One of the things I was scared about that you might say in your story is that you did emergency plan B, but you didn't. You made an appointment with the kid. You didn't do it right in the middle of class, which means that another you get another major kudos here because you didn't. Try to do emergency plan B. You did proactive plan B, so that you get another 10 points if we were giving points, which of course, on this program, we should probably shouldn't be giving points or anything, right? But so you have, right. you're getting social reinforcement for having uh, done exactly. it at the right time. Sometimes, if the, even though the empathy step feels like it didn't go anywhere, just by trying to understand, just by taking an interest in the kid, it actually accomplished a great deal, as evidenced by the fact that you didn't get a ton of good information in the empathy step, but you did still get a paper airplane asking for help. Right. What a fantastic story. So now Uh, let me just take one more thing about the story. Okay. And that is, what could we say when a kid says, I don't care? And he actually said a little bit more than I don't care. He said, "Um, I know it already. Yeah. All right, now, now I'm intrigued, right? Now, and here's what I'm always thinking when I'm when I'm drilling. Drilling's the hardest part of the empathy stuff, mostly because people aren't exactly sure what to say. What I'm always thinking to myself is, what do I need to ask? Well, better yet, before I ask, what do I need to know to understand why he's passing mm-hmm. so frequently? What do I need to know? And does what he just said to me add up? All right, now let me, What did he just say? Add up. Hold on. Hold on a second, kid. You just told me, kid, that you don't care because you know it already. That's why you're passing. Do people who know it already pass?
2: True. No, they don't. Frequently,
0: no. So, but the, the main. So, what might come out of my mouth is. So, I don't. I'm a little confused here. Help me understand. You're passing because you know the answer. <laughs> I don't. I don't quite get it. Help me understand that better. The, the goal of the empathy stuff is to understand. And you're not confronting him. You're just trying to understand. More information. You're looking for more information. Your your reference point, though, is what do I need to understand better about why he's passing? And so where the drilling gets interesting is it's not just the questions we're going into the drilling with. We also have to be slightly quick on our feet because it's not just us talking. It's him talking. And he said... I'm passing because I already know the answers. Hmm. That doesn't make any sense. Right. Now, we, we, can't tell, we can't tell him that it doesn't make any sense because that's a little harsh, but we can say to him, we don't quite understand. Yeah, help help okay. me understand that. You're passing because you have the answer? Well, he, the note that he sent you suggests to us that he actually doesn't have the answer. But he wasn't quite ready to say that to you, apparently.
2: Yeah.
0: Guess what it sounds like you're ready for? Proactive B number two.
2: In uh, The uh, invitation?
0: No, I think you're ready for another empathy step. Empathy,
2: empathy, empathy. okay.
0: I think you're ready to go back to proactive plan B. You're making another appointment with them. And you're saying, you know, I got this really interesting paper airplane from you. (laughs) And I was intrigued by it because the first time we talked about it, you had told me that you weren't participating because you didn't care because you already knew the answers. Then I get this paper airplane asking me for my help. Help me understand what kind of help you were hoping I could provide. Okay. So we're still in information-seeking mode. Those people who've heard me speak recently know that I'm an information hound. (laughs) I'm not ready to leave that empathy step until I'm sitting there saying, okay, I got it. I've had my aha moment. I've had that moment at which I say to myself, I got it. Now I understand, and it makes sense to me. Now I understand why this kid is, and in your example, we could fill in the blank here, but in your example, it's now I understand why uh, he's passing.
2: Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does, and I'm glad that you said it like that because I think that's my biggest problem that I, I feel like I understand, and so I'm like, okay, I'm moving on to the next step, but really there's, there's more, to, like I can revise it and go back and, and invite him for a meeting again, and I think that can only help.
0: Well, he seems to have responded well to your first attempt at proactive B because he's sending you an airplane letting you know he needs help. I would say that that is an extremely positive sign. And once again, I hate to reiterate, I hate to beat this to death, but um, it's proof that it, that is so often the case that even though it may feel like our first attempt at drilling for information didn't go so well, it's what we communicated to the kid, even though we didn't necessarily get great information, yeah. that that we still got ingredients working for us, even though the empathy step wasn't like a hot knife through butter. Mm-hmm. Listen, I want to get to another caller. I am ecstatic that you called, and please call us back and let us know how your study group is going.
2: Okay, well, I'll be really excited that I And what I, I type of through. things
0: that you're bumping into.
2: Okay, cool. Thank you so Thanks much. Thanks for
0: calling. Let me get to our other caller. Thanks again. Thanks. And we're going to go to our next caller, caller number two. You are on the air, hello, yep,
1: hi, Ross. Yes, this is theron uh, Theron Mong from Niagara Wheatfield.
0: How are you? Good, how are you? I'm doing well.
1: I can't believe we got on with you. all right? You're um, on? I was actually supposed to be on with a teacher. We had made an appointment today to to be on with the teacher, but instead we were just going to give give you a call to talk you uh, talk through some things here, okay?
0: Let's do it. By the way, let me just – there's other people on who are um, not from your school district, and we don't really – it doesn't have to necessarily be public what your school district is, but the Niagara Wheatfield School District in New York has been um, implementing collaborative problem-solving faithfully and struggling with it in some places and having some tremendous successes with it, so just to orient people so they know this is an elementary school uh, uh, in upstate New York.
1: Okay. Well, thank you, Ross. I've got my new assistant principal, Mr. Smelnich, here, too, and he's really enjoying it uh, as well. And um, we, we basically have one of our students that's one of our toughest uh, that we've encountered.
0: And don't use any names.
1: Oh, absolutely not. This, in this process, uh, we've started it with a, with a teacher. And one of the things, and it's actually going very, very well. We've had this young man just doing so well for these first three months. The question that came up with the teacher, and I wasn't quite sure how to respond to it, was when we identify our lagging skills, the actual teaching of it is coming through the process of Plan B. Is that correct? Is that That the way you would describe it?
0: That is the way I would describe it.
1: Okay. And that's an important
0: point for people before we go on. Some people, they fill out the LSIP and they um, start to get overwhelmed because they think not only are they overwhelmed by the number of unsolved problems that have piled up over time, they become overwhelmed because they've checked off all these items in the lagging skills section, and they come to feel that they're going to have to teach all those lagging skills directly. And it's not uncommon for me to be asked for sort of an algorithm for how you teach specific skills. And my standard answer is you're not going to have to teach all those skills directly. The lagging skills section of the ALSUP, is primarily for the purpose of making sure that we have the right lenses on. Mm. The right lenses, meaning we are viewing this kid through the lenses of lagging skills and demands for those skills. And once again, what other lenses could we have on? We could have on manipulative, attention-seeking, unmotivated, coercive, um, limit testing. Those are the lenses we could have on. We're taking those lenses off. When we start thinking about the skills a kid is lacking, Those motivational explanations fall by the wayside, and much more developmental explanations start to come into play. Now we've got the right lenses on. He's lacking crucial cognitive skills. Once again, and I I hate to beat this to death too, but challenging behavior occurs when the demands of the environment exceed a kid's capacity to respond adaptively. Why might a kid be having difficulty responding adaptively? He's lacking the skills to respond adaptively. What skills are those? Now we know, the ones that we checked off on the ALSEP. Good, now we've got the right lenses on. Now we're going to take those lagging skills and we're going to put them on the shelf. We're going to say, good, lenses on, check. Now let's move on to the unsolved problems section because through the mere ingredients of collaborative problem solving, plan B, a lot of those lagging skills are going to be taught. There you go. So I'm sorry I took off on that, but keep going.
1: Uh, And one of the things I just wanted to try to reiterate from our work last year was you talked last year about starting by, and I could be wrong, to start with the unsolved problems.
0: Correct. And then work
1: backwards. Okay. How many, in terms of lagging skills in this particular case, we narrowed it to to five, but I heard you You say maybe You mean
0: unsolved problems or lagging skills?
1: um, Lagging skills.
0: Well, now remember, we're putting the lagging skills on the shelf.
1: Oh, I got it. Yep. Okay. We're, start,
0: we're starting with the unsolved problems. Yep. How many are those?
1: We only listed two.
0: Two unsolved problems. Yep. Sounds like a nice Unsupervised
1: time, lunchroom, bus, hallways, large group, which were really impacting this particular student even giving, getting off to a, a good start to the day.
0: So let me, let me hear those again.
1: The, the, the unsolved problem is unsupervised time, coming off the bus in the morning, the lunchroom, the hallways, and a large group.
0: Got it. So now here's the deal. You've you, you got more than two unsolved problems. Okay. Un- unsupervised time is a bit vague.
1: Yeah.
0: We want to be as specific as possible. As I've been saying lately, we're looking for what I call actionable information. And if we go to him, let me give you a really good example of what this would sound like. If we go to him and say, um, we've noticed that you have a lot of trouble in unstructured time. What's up? We're going to get a blank look. We're going to get no information. We need to be more specific than that. We want to say we've noticed, and now I'm going to split that into three unsolved problems. School bus. Okay. Hallway. And I don't remember the third one that you said.
1: Um, School bus, hallway, and lunchroom.
0: Lunchroom. You have three unsolved problems there, not one. Oh, okay. In other words, quite frankly, while it may be the case that those all share a common feature, namely unstructured time, the, the the unsolved problem of the lunchroom could be completely different than the unsolved problem of the hallway, and that could be completely different than the unsolved problem of the school bus. So I've just made your list of unsolved problems three times longer than it was. I've taken one and turned it into three.
1: And in each one of those has to be addressed individually through proactive plan B?
0: That's exactly right. Okay. Got because it. Here's how it would sound. Here, Once again, I'll, I'll just by way of repetition, I hope this doesn't bug anybody, but If we say to him, using a very vague unsolved problem, I've noticed that unstructured time is hard for you. Number one, I doubt that we're going to get any good information. But if we say to him, I've noticed that you've been having some trouble on the school bus lately. What's up? We've now actually made this a much easier situation to get information out of him on. Uh, Same thing on the hallway. Same thing for the lunchroom. Three specific unsolved problems. And now, if you're not familiar with it already, and I don't remember if I introduced this to you all, but there's this thing called the Plan B flowchart. Okay. If you go to the Lives in the Balance website, yeah. um, www.livesinthebalance.org, and go to the paperwork section, okay. you'll see the Plan B flowchart there, and the Plan B flowchart is going to help you keep track of the two or three unsolved problems that you're working on with a kid at any particular time. Okay. By the way, if you go to the um, Voices of CPS section, yep. you'll see some of your favorite people from your school system. Yeah, we've already it.
1: seen that. we well, I'm very <laughs> impressed with Mrs. Crushes. Mr. Carter would like to be on it. He was looking for his uh, uh, piece.
0: <laughs> tell I Mr. Him Carter I wait, that I haven't edited his piece yet, but he's the next one to get added.
1: Oh, I'll tell him that. Then. But, All right, good. That. Mr. But Carter's Mr.
0: another principal in the same school system. Yes, tell him I n- nothing, no, no, uh, no offense, just uh, haven't oh, I gotten know. to his right okay. yet. Um, All right, but, well,
1: thank you. That was very informative, and we're still it's alive and well. We're working it as much as we can here for some of our tough cases, Ross.
0: Outstanding. Any um, So what we've done now is we've Made it clear to people, you're focusing on lagging skill, you're focusing on unsolved problems, not lagging skills.
1: Yep. You're
0: going to use that plan B flowchart to write in the two or three unsolved problems that you all are working on right now. Okay. And then we just got to get people good at plan B. Do you got any we've got about uh, five minutes left. Do you want to regale us with any of you? You said it was going well. Tell us um, if you want to. Any of the things you've been working on with this kid, any of the specific unsolved problems that you've made some headway on so far? I hate to put you on the spot there, but...
1: That's fine. I mean, the the first one that we worked on, I mean, I'm looking at our, our CPS plan here and um, the the solutions we've agreed upon with him. And this is a teacher that also I'm very proud of for, for de- delving into this. So that, that's another thing to, to talk about um, because we knew coming in, and I talked to the teacher about it's going to take some unique tools to work with this student if we're going to have a good year. So I appreciate his willingness to do that. Um, What we agreed on was um, that in a specific morning routine, he was going to go to class, put his book bag away, put his bag away, go to breakfast, and and come to start working. So in in a sense, we actually just did address, when we talk about breaking things down, we, we, we just broke down how to get him to breakfast and back to the room without throwing himself for a loop. And the teacher said that he's had his best week this whole year. Outstanding. So, and that's where we left off. Today we were going to regroup and, and pick our next piece. But like I said, I mean, I'm glad we called you because now we can talk about school bus, lunchroom, and hallways all being separate problems, and, and I tended to, to clump them. So that's a nice learning piece for me then.
0: Good, good learning piece for everybody. I'm glad you called. And okay. now here's, here's the only thing you've got to watch out for. Okay. I'm delighted that he's had a good week. Yep. you still have problems left to solve, that you know already. Got it, yep. But the other thing I want to remind you of is sometimes good weeks come because of the mere good feelings that come from doing Plan B.
1: Yep.
0: I'm most optimistic about, a, about our progress with a kid being durable if we have our specific problems solved durably. So, yes, we may be riding the wave of our first attempts at Plan B with a kid, and I, this is a good lesson for everybody, and I don't know if this is going to happen with, with you all because you've been doing Plan B for a while, although not, perhaps with this kid I'm not sure. Um, you may be re- riding the wave. You might have durable solutions in place. You'll find out soon enough. Sure. But I guess the point that I want to make is you never know when a solution that appears to be working right now it's going to stop working. Okay. And when do solutions stop working? When they turns out that they weren't as realistic and mutually satisfactory as we first thought that they were. So sometimes we're just riding the wave of our first plan B with a kid, even though we haven't even necessarily come up with a solution yet. Our first caller might be an example of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes we're riding the wave of a solution that's begun working but is not necessarily destined to stand the test of time. We'll find out soon enough. But just remember, collaborative problem solving could also have been called incremental problem solving or progressive problem solving. Solving a problem tends to take a few plan Bs
1: Absolutely, yeah. to get it
0: solved durably. And um, that's the only thing that I would watch out for with this kid. Um, I'm delighted that you have some solutions that seem to be working already. Just keep an eye on those babies because they may not work forever. They may work for a while, and then you need a new solution to take their place.
1: Well, and we hope to meet with the, on this weekly, so that um, you know. And, and I know that, like you said in your book, when you talk about durable solutions, that's I'm trying to emphasize that it's the child coming up with it, and it's it's that it's that to putting the thing, putting it out there, and then doing it together so that it does last. And so that's and a big move in your book that you talk about.
0: Excellent. And just remember, it doesn't have to be the kid who comes up with the solution. It can be anybody who does. But having the kid participate in the process of coming up with a solution. Yeah. Is, is is very important. Okay. I'm ecstatic that you called. Call any time. I'm always happy to hear about how things are going in your, in your building and in your system.
1: Well, thank you very much. You have a good exactly. night. You too. Hey, okay, Ross. Bye-bye.
0: So that is a great example of a school that um, has been exposed to collaborative problem-solving for about two years, aggressively trying to implement it for about one year, and... Where they are at is they've probably, to a large extent, gotten over the philosophical hurdle. They've they've got a vision for where they want to be heading. They know they've got challenging kids who they're not reaching. They've got the vision for where they want to head. What's left for them? Make sure that the paperwork is in place and it sounds like it is firmly implanted. Um, And then just get good at plan B. Um, Always good to hear from folks who are... Just getting started. Always good to hear from folks who are well on their way. Uh, we heard from both today. I'm delighted that you were able to join us. Unfortunately, we are out of time for today. Um, I learned last week that if I leave things to the last second, then, then I just get cut off on this. We're not going to leave it to the last second today, but I can't wait till next week. There's also always the possibility that I'm going to make this show an hour long instead of 45 minutes, just in case we find that we need more time. For now, we'll end at 4.15 Eastern Time. Thanks for joining in. Talk to you next week.